Welcome back to the Last Word on Sens podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger, and uh, I haven't recorded a podcast in about two months, really. Part of that has been just the season. Part of that has been uh, myself getting busy. And the other part of that has been the Senators have barely played in two months. Uh, but back joining, making his return to the podcast is the one and only Spencer Blake. Spencer, thank you so much for joining me today. How's it going, man? Not too bad. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I also haven't, uh, not that I have my own podcast, but I haven't been on a podcast in a while. So I'm excited to, to be here and, and chat some some hockey since we don't have any hockey to watch right now. I was uh, actually just looking up the last time you had joined the podcast and it was January 31st, 2021 is when the episode came out. So it would have been probably right. a day or two before that. And uh, reading the description here, the Sens are now 1-6-1 and one on the season and have lost seven in a row. Today, Spencer Blake joins Alex as the two discuss what, what, what went wrong this week. Uh, it's crazy to think that that was only a year ago and there has been almost as ugly since. But uh, I would take a 1-6-1 run maybe right now over just not having hockey for about five weeks at this point. I'm right there with you. I think that I would much rather watch the Sens lose than than watch nothing. And we got to see the Sens lose in their one and only <laughs> game. So uh, they, they played once since December 18th. They lost against Philly in overtime on December 18th. Uh, and then since then, they didn't play until Saturday, January 1st, bringing in the new year with a 6 nothing loss to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, the one game we had was not a pretty one. Uh, to say the least, I, I want to give the team the benefit of the doubt. And I want to get this is, I think, a good first topic to dive into here. I want to give the team the benefit of the doubt because obviously they've been hit with COVID. They got hit with the Delta variant earlier this year, and now they're getting the Omicron variant. So it's not like they even got saved by getting hit earlier in the year. They're dealing with it right now. They hadn't played since December 18th, but the team they played that absolutely curb stomped them hadn't played since December 16th, two days earlier, and also just had half their team come off the COVID list and really hadn't even had a practice before they started playing the centers. So I, I don't know if I can give them the benefit of the doubt all that much in terms of how, just how lifeless that performance was. No, I, I, I tried to, right. I, I tried to think about it at first. I don't, I don't think that I've been as disappointed in a regular season sends game as I was with this one, just because of all the factors, right? We waited so long for it to happen. It was finally there. You know, it was January 1st. You know, I was at the end of vacation. Like, every, all of the the stars were aligning for a lovely Saturday evening, I think it was, uh, of Sens hockey, and then it was just nothing. Um, but, yeah, I, I have a hard time giving them the benefit of the doubt. I think it's it's tough to to you know be in the circumstance they were in but Toronto was in a very similar circumstance and it was you know it looked like one of those preseason games where one team's already decided you know that they're going to throw their entire NHL lineup out because they're ready to to get ready for the regular season but the other team was still you know playing half their AHL roster and a bunch of CHL prospects um, still trying to figure things out That, that was the vibe that I got at the end of that one. Yeah, and I will say it's not like the roster uh, looked far off of that at times either. There's <laughs> definitely definitely a couple guys where um, they're playing this season and they probably shouldn't due to injuries and COVID. So, you know, like I I was willing to give them the, the benefit of the doubt maybe for like part of the game and why it got so ugly. But the fact that there was just no life whatsoever really was disappointing. And, and I've already seen people say, well, how can you not chalk this season up to COVID? And my response to that would be, I think that would be a very bad process. If at the end of the year, this team is bottom three, bottom five again, 
Um, don't get me wrong, a top five pick would be great, but if they're bottom, bottom in right in that lottery odd again, and you look and go, no, our process was really good this year. We just got unlucky because of COVID. I think that would be a horrible, horrible review of the season. Um, I think I said on Twitter the other day, if the the year end review is we did some things wrong. This was a bad and flawed roster that was obvious from the beginning. And it was made a lot worse because of some bad luck with injuries, uh, Pinto and, and white going down right away, obviously. And, and then COVID on top of that, I would be more okay with that. But just if they, if they wrap the season up and go, no, actually everything we did this year was great. Our team looked awesome heading into the year. It was just COVID that unraveled. I think we're in for another tough off season going forward, because I think that would be laying your excuses somewhere else. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think that's, you know, I, I don't, I don't like watching the Sens lose. I genuinely, you know, as much as a top five pick would be nice. Like I don't, I don't want to be in that spot again, paying attention to, to who are the, who are the players at the top of the draft. Um, but I also do feel for, you know, the, the, the front office, right. You know, Dorian and and his team, like they're not going to have a real season to base a lot of decisions off of. Right. And so we might see one of those things where they're like, well, you know, it wasn't that bad and we got unlucky. And, and so, you know, we, yes, we will keep, you know, insert player that they probably shouldn't keep here uh, going into next season rather than, you know, addressing weaknesses in the lineup because they were able to, you know, properly evaluate. I don't think that's unique to Ottawa, right. There's lots of, lots of teams that have had pretty bad bouts with, with COVID and injuries and that kind of stuff, but it's, it's going to be really difficult, I think, for, for the team to to walk into the off season and look back on this season and think they know exactly what they need to fix the roster because of how inconsistent everything like they've played once in 20 whatever days right and 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 then they're gonna have to you know fill those games in you know during the olympic break and probably you know tack on an extra week at the end of the season and then it's like you know if they do really well or really poorly is it because there's you know, they're in the, in the zone over a busy stretch, or if they're doing poorly, is it because they're playing too many games at once, right? There's always going to be that kind of thing at the back of their heads and their decision-making, which, which sucks. Cause I think I, anyone who follows me on Twitter knows that I'm not a, uh, a huge believer in Ottawa's professional uh, talent evaluations. Uh, And so having this type of season at a pretty pivotal moment in the rebuild uh, is going to make that even more difficult to be excited about. Yeah. And you know, I don't want this podcast to be all negative on the, on the return after two months, but I I'm going to even go a step further and I, I worry with the management that they are going to, you know, just go, well, we can't really tell anything when in reality, I I think there is times where you can try and separate what's COVID and what's not. I could tell you heading into the year, Michael Delzato on your second pair was not going to (laughs) effing work. You do not need to be a rocket scientist to figure that one out, right? But someone like Nick Paul, who's having an atrocious year, who's been thrown into like a top six role when you were not expecting it, I think it's fair enough to evaluate him at the end and say, okay, well, if we bring him back next year, we want it to be in a fourth line role, nothing more than that. We want to Mm -hmm. add to the team on top of him, have some obviously replacement, and he can be the guy who steps up into our third line if needed. You know, obviously you don't want him in your top six all year. And that's where he's had to be because of injuries and COVID and stuff like that. So that's a type of player where I definitely think that you can use some of your personal judgment and go, no, okay, we did find out something about this guy. He's a useful 
bottom six play. And because honestly with Nick Paul too, I, I think it's the one really good example because last year he had that really good season, um, mm-hmm. you know, kind of looked like he was putting everything together. And I saw some people talk about, is he a top six forward? And it's like, well, let's bump the brakes here. I think he's a, a fine third, third line forward. And you know, if this year's shown anything, it's, he either needs to be the third best player on a third line, or he can control a fourth line. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's not a bad thing as long no. as you know what that is. Right. But it's clear, I think after this year that he's not going to be elevating your top six in any meaningful way. No. Um, so as, as long as you know that, um, you know, I don't know if they're going to keep him or what, I believe he's a UFA at the end of this year, but yeah. if you can get him on a decent cheap contract, I wouldn't mind bringing him back, but you've got to know that it's got to be at a lower role. And, and that's the, that's the decision making. I hope they make this off season. I'm just, I'm not totally sure if they will, because obviously, you know, Dorian, who it sounded like he was in hot water heading into the year, which I didn't really agree with uh, necessarily on that. He needed to have a great year this year, but it, it's been a disaster to say the least. He's going to look for any excuse he can as to why the season went wrong. Right. That's right. just natural to keep your job. So it, it'll Absolutely. be, it'll be really interesting to see how they, how they evaluate things going into the summer. Um, and if they can turn around because, you know, the one maybe you can argue the one good thing about tacking eight extra games on at the end of the season is yes, yeah, so the guys might be exhausted, but we saw last year the teams that played Ottawa at the end of the year were not giving them their all. It was backup goaltenders. It was yeah. you know nights where it didn't even look like the stars were really trying sometimes, and I think it kind of diluted the the team fans and management. Maybe you know that that really big run right at the end where I think they went eight one and one or something like that. They won like a bunch of their last 10 games. Um, I think that kind of diluted what they thought the team was coming into the year. And again, you can argue if that's a good thing or a bad thing, if that happens again this year, but we'll see if they've learned from their mistakes at all. That's for sure. For sure. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I, yeah, I see the, the big run at the end of last year, you know, pumping things up a little bit. You, you'd hope that, that you can kind of take that with a grain of salt and understand the the situation, but um, hopefully, you know, the other side happens here and they look at what they've, what they've put out this season and what's happened and realize, you know, that they, if they actually want to move to the next stage of this rebuild that they claim that they're now in something other than bringing back most of the same team and adding a veteran forward or defender here and there is not going to be enough to, to take them to the next level, even if, you know, well, not if, I think when Kachuk and Batherson and Norris and Stutzla take, again, another leap in their development, right? Like a, that, that that by itself is not going to be enough. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's painfully obvious that the uh, depth needs to be upgraded and significantly this offseason because we're seeing the young guys absolutely carry this team over oh, when yeah. they, in December when they were playing there. And it still wasn't enough. Like the, the, the young guys would carry the team. And, you know, I, just, I have the record up here. In before that Leafs game, they still went. Uh, they, they lost the Lightning, obviously an unreal team. Two one game, that's okay. Lost the Flyers four three in overtime. Killed the Panthers, beat the Lightning pretty good, and lost the Islanders. So it's like you're still two two and one, even with you know your uh, young guys playing amazingly. And they, they went on a three game winning streak before that, but then before that they were on a six game losing streak. So it's like, it's definitely been hot and cold. And a lot of that, you know, stopping some of those streaks, especially the cold ones, having guys who, when your stars aren't playing at their top level, or maybe are out of the lineup for a game or two, having a guy on your third line who he doesn't need to take over the game, but can pitch in a goal or two here and there can go a very long way compared to what they have now. For sure. Uh, Let's move on uh, to the next topic. And, you know, we mentioned that, um, Obviously, the Olympic break there, uh, there'll probably be some games playing, but uh, 
Um, you know, obviously when the NHL announced they weren't going to the Olympics, I don't think it was really surprising to anyone seeing how the previous week or two went and seeing that they've now had to cancel even more games since that announcement. Um, but Suns fans still have a reason to watch the Olympics, although it might not be Team Canada. Uh, Jake Sanderson has accepted his invite to Team USA, uh, so he will be playing on the American with the American squad during the Olympics. Uh, the Americans are inviting a bunch of prospects. I saw a couple Leafs ones there. I think a Devils one as well. Um, so they're going with a really young and exciting team, and, and I think that'll actually give Jake Sanderson a pretty big role uh, in, in an Olympic tournament, which will be really cool to see, even if it's not, you know, against the best of the best in the world. Um, you know, what, are you are planning on tuning into the games if you can? Um, and, you know, how excited are you to watch Jake Sanderson? If so, I'm really excited to watch Jake Sanderson. I will certainly be tuning into the games. Although uh, I did take a look at the, the schedule the other day. Uh, thankfully they have scheduled, you know, Team Canada and Team USA in the least offensive spots uh, for for us here in the Eastern Time Zone. Uh, in that you know there are games that will be played at three thirty a.m., uh, but Canada and US are in none of those games, so that's nice. the The only problem is that you know some of the games are at eleven ten p.m. and some of the other games start at eight ten a.m. Uh, and I you know do have to work. So uh, on those on those weekdays, it might be a case, you know, I do work from home. So maybe it's a case where I don't tell my boss, keep the Olympics on one of my screens while I work. But yes, I, I'll definitely be I'll definitely be tuning in and really excited to see Jake Sanderson play. And to your point, you know, that roster, they there looks like they're going really, you know, NCAA heavy, which is a really cool opportunity for those for those prospects. Um, but it also means that like, I was looking at, the, I can't remember who is on it now. I, I was trying to find the screenshot earlier. Um, I don't see a player on that blue line that will play more than Jake Sanderson at this point, right? Which is, which is super cool. Um, I don't know that, you know, Canada or the U.S. with the rosters that they're going to be able to put together with no NHL players are going to go very far. I think pretty sure the last Olympic gold medal game was Russia and Germany. Germany. Yeah. 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 Canada won bronze, I think, but yeah. Yeah. So like, it's possible that we see Jake Sanderson, you know, get an Olympic medal, which would be super cool, but I'm just genuinely, I was so looking forward to to him playing the world juniors uh, and and getting to see him, him do his thing there. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped that he's going. I think it's going to be awesome. Yeah, me too. Uh, I, I'm still trying to decide if I like that the Canada US games at 11, 10 p.m. start time more or less than if they were at 8, 10, because as you said, it's uh, it's at least easier to have a screen on at 8, 10 p.m. versus staying up until uh, one in the morning. But I'm hoping that game's at least a weekend start. I didn't check, but I know it is. Oh, that's it's, good. At least it's it's a Friday. Yeah, that, I, okay. I noticed that as well. And I was like, all right, I guess I'll, I'll take a nap around eight. And then uh, wake up, pour some coffee and watch the hockey, I guess. That's incredibly smart by the uh, program makers there, because that is, uh, yeah, that'll probably be the best ratings then for them. But um, yeah, as you mentioned, it's, uh, it's a shame that the world juniors got canceled too, because uh, uh, you know, there obviously Sanderson wasn't the only Sanderson was obviously I was excited to see his role, but we already saw him dominate at parts last year in last year's world juniors. I was just as excited to see what, you know, Clevin and uh, Ridley Gregg could do in the world juniors this year. Um, because you know, uh, Greg, I, I was on Trevor Shackle's podcast uh, a couple weeks ago, and it was a previewing the tournament. And one of my things was with Greg was uh, uh, he was playing third line, kind of like pesk shutdown role with Canada. And 
I think that's going to be a kind of a role that he's looking for in the NHL with this Ottawa team when he eventually makes it in a year or two. And I was really interested to see, you know, what he looks like in that kind of role. And unfortunately, we only got, you know, two games of each team before the, the tournament was canceled. But um, yeah, I'm counting my blessings here, getting to see Sanderson in a national tournament where he'll be playing a big role. And, um, you know, it'll give at least people the opportunity to watch because obviously not everyone has uh, NCAA hockey streams that they can bring up on uh, weeknights throughout the week. So uh, I, I think I speak for most people when it's obviously not as exciting if the NHL players are going, but at least there's some solace that you get to see the top prospect go and hopefully, you know, dominate a tournament against other you know grown men. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think that's the other exciting part is being able to see like, it obviously, you know, isn't quite the same tournament without NHL players, but there's still going to be some really good hockey players there, right? Like, you know, KHL players, you know, Swedish league, Finnish league, the DEL, like there's going to be the best players that Jake Sanderson has ever played against will play in this tournament. Uh, and it's going to, it's going to be really, really fun to see how he stacks up. Yep. Um, you know, another guy who might be in this tournament that uh, Ottawa seems to have their eye on is Russian forward Andre uh, Kuzmenko, oh, yeah. who, uh, you know, I think that's a good turning point to him. So uh, anyone who doesn't know, he is a 25 year old winger who is currently playing for St. Petersburg SKA in the KHL uh, in 44 games. He's got 20 goals and 33 assists for 53 points. So very impressive. Now, St. Petersburg is like one of, if not the best teams in the KHL. So Point totals on that team could be a little inflated at times, but um, still a Russian winger that's, you know, looking by the sounds of it after his contract in KHL is up this year uh, to hop over to the NHL. And the Senators have been one of the uh, destinations that it apparently is uh, favoring um, by the sounds of it. It's nothing set in stone. It sounds like Dorian's going to have a meeting with him coming up this week, uh, him and his agent to try and make the pitch to Ottawa. But um, you know, it, it makes sense that Ottawa is desperate for good forwards. I think he would immediately sought into their second or third line on the left side, um, especially if Tim Stutzel is going to stay at center. And, uh, you know, so there's obviously the opportunity there. Um, obviously, you know, with how the success of Zub, I think that's probably got to go a long way to other Russian speaking players. But, uh, you know, it's an intri- intriguing notion nonetheless. Uh, what are your thoughts on, you know, him? I, I'm assuming you haven't watched him much, but, you know, what are your thoughts on potentially adding a player like this uh, just, you know, to the roster in general? Yeah, I, I'm not going to lie. Didn't know who he was until about 10 days ago or, or whenever that that quote came out that Dorian said he was chatting with his agent. Uh, so I've taken a look. I've watched some of the you know YouTube clips and highlights and that kind of stuff. So I'm not going to pretend that I know too much about the player himself, but you know, these are, these are the types of players that, that a team like the Sens have to swing for, right? You've, you've got a, a guy who's, you know, unproven. He can come in on ELC, which I know we hate talking about, you know, finances when it comes to the Sens, but the fact that because this first contract has to be in ELC means that they're not going to get outbid monetarily. Um, so there's, there's that aspect. And then there's also the very, you know, low risk to it, right? You know, he could come over and you know, fit in just as well as Zub and be amazing and, you know, a new fan favorite and all that kind of stuff. He could also come over and be like a number of other KHL players who come over and spend a couple seasons kind of hanging out in the bottom six and then head back to the KHL. Uh, or he could be somewhere in between, right? Like there, there's so many different options, but at the end of the day, signing a, a player who's doing that well in the KHL, who plays a position that Ottawa desperately needs support in, 
to to a contract where where he can come over and, and we could kind of see what happens like that those are the things that the Sens have to do in order to be competitive because they're they're not a you know as attractive of a free agency destination uh, or a you know I'll waive my no move or no trade clause to go to the senator's destination at the moment right because they're still at the bottom of the standings and, and not in a spot where people are like, Hey, you know, I might be able to win a cup with this team. And so, you know, that's the type of player they have to get or they have to at least try to get right. So I'm intrigued for sure. I'm not ready to pencil them into the lineup. Uh, like, like some folks are, uh, but it would be darn cool if, if, you know, even if they could find a 40 point winger out of them, right. Like that, that would be fantastic. Uh, especially because it's on the right side. And that is in my opinion, Ottawa's weakest position at the moment. Yeah, exactly. I, I think the low risk part of it would be the biggest factor in everything. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I do think it, it's very important, as you pointed out, that you can't just pencil him in to be a legitimate top six guy who's going to score 50 points or anything like that. But, um, you know, if you sign him with the expectations of like, Hey, if this works perfect, you know, like Radulov came back from the K, you know, Radulov was in the NHL, then went to the K John came back. He worked. Um, but you know, there's there's lots, lots of names in forward and defense that have it. Igor Ozhaganov, uh, I'll throw Nikita Zaitsev in there. Yeah, maybe he's an NHL player, but not a great one, you know. Um, I'm trying to think of Vegas side. Nikita Gusev was another guy who came over. Gusev, and just, yeah. Uh, and uh Vladimir uh, Shipachev uh, yeah. was the Vegas one there's a, just a handful of guys who just don't work out for whatever reason in the NHL. Right. But if you can sign this guy to an ELC and play him on your second or third line, and you know, if it works great, if it doesn't, as you said, there's no cost in sending him to the minors or, you know, I'm assuming if you send him to the minors, it would be a mutually negotiated termination of the contract. There's not really much of a risk. So if you can go get a player like this, um, the upside is a guy like Zub, you know, where, Ottawa found a legitimate top four defenseman. I would almost argue he's probably a number two, maybe a number three at very worst. They found a legitimate guy for their top four at 26 years old because they were just willing to take a flyer when they had an open roster spot. And I think any team that is not competing for a Stanley cup this year should be trying to do stuff like that because unless, you know, you have a bunch of prospects of your own that you need to fill. But if, you know, the opportunity is, you know, even if the ceiling is a, second line forward or whatever you just found a second line forward for free you didn't have to give up any assets or anything like that you know and theoretically can sign them to a decent contract so um yeah i i would absolutely i'm I'm really happy to see that they are in on more guys like this um you know they didn't have a russian for years and you know now (laughs) now it feels like they are very very open so I, i don't know what that switch was if they just started scouting them more or as a philosophy shift. I don't know, but um, I, I'm very happy, you know, that guys like Zub and now, you know, it sounds like they're a front runner for them. And even if they don't get them, it, it's okay. But just the fact, as you said, that their name's actually being involved in these conversations is a nice change of pace because, you know, there's not too many NHL stars that are like, yeah, I want to go to Ottawa. That's the place I want to play. So yeah, uh, yeah you got to find ways to, you know, work around the edges as you can. And just as we were talking about the depth, even if this guy's just like, a good third line scoring forward who puts in 35 yeah. to 40 points that improves your depth a lot, right. As well, like compared to what they have and that would yeah. be a perfect pickup for free. So. For sure. Like I, I've always, you know, I've, we obviously Ottawa has, you know, Drake Batherson on the top, top line on the right side. Right. And then I I've always been a, you know, Connor Brown really should be a third line winger type person, but he's a guy you can slot that can kind of slide up if you need to. 
right? But, you know, if your top three right wingers are Batherson, Brown, and then Kuzmenko, if Kuzmenko, you know, becomes even a 40-point player, that's not bad, right? Like, that's that's an improvement over what it is right now, right? And I think that that, you know, we're, and I think we'll probably touch on this on another topic in a bit, but the time to start making a team that can win hockey games today is now, right? It's, it's, it's not, you know, Patience of the rebuild for me is 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 over, <laughs> or, or at least close to being over. So it, yeah, it'd be, it'd be great to see them land, you know, Kuzmenko, and obviously if he pans out, awesome. But if he doesn't, <laughs> legitimately, who cares? Right? It's just it's just a it's a one year ELC, and we'll see what happens. Exactly. And the nice thing about players like this is the management doesn't have any emotional attachment to them either. You know, I, I find the the biggest problem with uh, first round picks, you know, draft picks and, and even like big names that you traded for is the GM has a real, excuse me, sorry. The GM has a real stake in those players because they put their, their neck out on the line to draft them really high or give up a big asset. You know, a perfect name for me uh, comes to mind is Philly right now with Rasmus Ristolina. They gave up a first round pick to get him and <laughs> he is not a good defenseman. He, it was no. him and Cody CC of the analytic movement of like, yeah, these guys play a lot of minutes. They don't play them well. Um, but they're in a position now where it's like, I can fully see them re-signing him this offseason to a bad contract that would be bad right away simply because they paid a lot to get him. With a Russian free agent like this, it's like, if he doesn't pan out, the management has no reason to be like, well, we got to keep this guy around because, you know, we really sacrificed for him. It's like, no, you picked him up for an ELC that you didn't have to give anything up for. So. Yeah. You know, there's no there's no uh, emotional attachment there either. So uh, the risk management is just that much stronger as well. So, you know, if, if he's a name that they can lure over for next season, I would be absolutely pumped. But, um, yeah, if it does happen, I would uh, encourage people to just uh, calm down a little bit, obviously. <laughs> and, uh, you know, don't pencil him as a star right away, but be, you know, be excited for, you know, what he could bring. For sure. Uh, let's move to another guy. Uh, lots of movement in this podcast, just with Sens players, whether it's Sanderson or a possible Sens player. But uh, let's get to a Sens prospect who did a move that I didn't even realize was possible, mostly because uh, I think college hockey until the past couple of years really wasn't a big avenue for a lot of NHL prospects. But it's it's really grown in the past five, six, seven years uh, compared to what I feel like it was. Uh, Tyler Boucher moves from uh, Boston College in the NCAA to the Ottawa 67s. So obviously a local team for the Senators. Um, probably the right move. To say Tyler Boucher's college uh, season was disappointing would be an understatement, I think I would put it. Uh, it uh, it was a bit of a mess. It, by the sounds of it, he was unlucky. I didn't get to personally watch any Boston University games, but he had two goals and one assist in 17 games, which uh, is really not good. Um, so he makes the move to the 67s. It looks like he's probably going to be debuting within the next week or so. Um, there was a bit of an issue, I think, on the border. But, uh, you know, give me your thoughts on this move. I, again, I, I didn't get to watch any of it, but uh, just when you look at that stat line, you're like, well, that cannot be good. Uh, are you excited, you know, that he's more local, uh, getting a fresh start? Or give me all your thoughts on the move. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for, for a couple of reasons. The, so I, I, I think of the 17 BU games, I might have caught three. So I, I'm not going to say that I you know, have a, a good understanding of, of why Boucher's season with BU was so bad uh especially offensively the big thing that that you notice in the ncaa is because of the age range and depending on the school and where they're at 
like uh, 18, 19 year old like Boucher is behind a lot of people in in the in the depth chart, partially by seniority, right? So I I don't think I ever saw Boucher in a top six role even once, right? And and so he didn't really have opportunity to play. Now, obviously, you need to earn the opportunity to play. So there may be a very good reason based on his play that he didn't earn that opportunity. But I think with the 67s, he's going to get that opportunity based partially on his you know pedigree for being a first round pick but partially on the fact that he'll be playing against people his own age uh rather than than playing in, in a bit of a uh older league and not to say that the NCAA is you know leaps and bounds ahead of the OHL in terms of like talent but I think there's a, more of an opportunity for him to play which I think is going to be way more valuable than than sticking around BU and and being a fourth or third line winger um you know, Ottawa, as far as I understand it, and I'm not a huge follower of the OHL. I follow it relatively closely, you know, living in, living in Kitchener, being a Rangers fan. Uh, I, I follow enough of it to know that the 67s aren't, you know, an offensive dynamo. Right. And so the opportunity is there for Boucher to come in and, and steal a spot from someone who's currently in the top six. Right. Whereas that opportunity would have been very difficult for him to climb the ladder at BU for the remainder of the season. So I, I'm, I'm excited to see it. I hope that it, obviously, obviously I hope it goes well uh, and that he, he puts up uh, some decent points. I, I actually, when he, when it was rumored, I don't think it had been confirmed yet, but I, I posted a little poll on Twitter, you know, what, what is, what do you need to see as a fan from Boucher in the OHL in order to, you know, I guess, repair the reputation uh that that he unfortunately has a bit for himself because of a slow start with with bu and the majority of people need him to be like a 0.75 or even point per game type player uh down the stretch here for the 67s to start feeling a little more comfortable about it but yeah overall i'm excited i think it's gonna be good for him to be in ottawa specifically and then i think the roster that the 67s have is good but not great and so he's got an opportunity to, to play which i think is the easily the most important part yeah i was when people voted and i said point per game and part of that was biased with the not just from bu but because i the, the pick was a reach anyways and you know I, I don't i have no issue saying that flat out uh, basically anyone who was a draft analyst had this guy not in the top 30 or if they did it was just barely in the top 30 so yeah. they reached by quite a few picks and even, you know, we, you, you can trust in man and everything, but it was just bad. It was a bad selection for the pick, you know, you trade down and if you don't get them, you can't be that confident in your player anyways, but they have them now. I want to see him succeed. So I, you know, I definitely agree where I, I hope it's, you know, he gets more of an opportunity from what I heard from people who did watch a lot of Boston university games too. He was more unlucky. Uh, he, like he was unlucky at times, the two goals, one assist, maybe doesn't show exactly what, you know, his stat line could have, he, he created a decent amount, but never got finished. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, that, that's one thing, you know, if you're trying to grab a positive from it, um, and then, you know, yeah, you will get a chance in Ottawa. I'm like you, I, I follow the OHL kind of closely, but not like super, super close, but, uh, Ottawa was a seller this year. They're about sixth in their conference. They'll probably make the playoffs, but they're not a very good team. Like I think they're under 500 right now. So he should be able to get a pretty good opportunity. I would say on power play one top six kind of minutes. And, you know, yep. hopefully he can, he can really help that, that forward core a lot. And um, the other thing, funny thing is this is probably the only time two Senators fans are recording a podcast where they're both Kitchener Rangers fans. 
uh, myself <laughs> also being from KW area. Um, but that's just a side note anyways. But yeah, I, I think for Boucher, it's, uh, he needed the restart. It, it seemed yeah. pretty clear. He wasn't even on Team USA's World Junior roster look list. Like, yeah, the, he the wasn't preliminary even on, one. Yeah, yeah he yeah, wasn't nothing. on the long list either which um, is like almost impressive to do as a freshly drafted top 10 pick in the NHL. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's true. <laughs> like there's, there's very few, obviously uh, Brent Clark was actually one for Canada as well. And that was an absolute shock, but yeah, um, yeah it, it was just, I, I think it's fair to say he needed a reset. I even, I will fully admit, I didn't realize you could just leave college halfway through the year and say, I'm done. Uh, it makes enough sense, you know, given how some, like I, I was in university myself. I understand how semesters work. I just never really thought of it as a hockey player that you could just pack up and leave after the first semester. But um, yeah, I think it's the right choice. Like I really do. I, I hope that he, you know, finds more success in the OHL. And again, as you said, like the NCAA, I feel like people don't realize with the NCAA sometimes you were playing guys who are like 22, 23 years old. Yeah. Uh, you know, a fourth year player is 23 years old. In the OHL, the oldest you can be is 19. There's a handful of 20, 20 year olds there. Yeah. So you were playing guys who are largely 17 to 19. So your age, you're probably even older than a, a decent amount of the guys. The ability to just, you know, feel more comfortable, get more comfortable trying to develop that way, I think is uh, is going to be interesting to keep an eye on. That's for sure. Could not agree more. Um, let's see what else we've got that written down here. Uh, Tim Stutzel just went into COVID protocol. I said we could talk about that. I don't really have much to talk about, to be honest with that. It's unfortunate because that puts him out for Calgary's game on Thursday, and I'm assuming Edmonton on Saturday. Um, I don't. I know it's five days now, but I'm assuming Tuesday and Saturday would count in the five days. So I would. I would think so. I also think it needs to be. I thought it was five days. And like a certain number of, of negative tests, negative right? Tests, yes. And so I, I imagine that, you know, tomorrow, if he, if he had to profile today, he will also test positive tomorrow and probably also on Thursday. Right. So yeah, I think we can probably count him out for, for the next two games, which, yeah, I don't have a lot to say on it either. It's just, you know, another one bites the dust, terrible situation, uh, especially for, for Stutzel, who I think has been as a centerman specifically has been playing a lot better than he was at the beginning of the year. And now he just has to sit for longer. So yeah, it's, he already has only played one game in 23 days and now he's like, he'll, he'll probably enter like the 30 day mark uh, before he plays his second game in 30 days. So that, yeah, just feel bad for the player, feel bad for everything. Right. That's, that's all I got. Yeah. It's, it's just unfortunate too, because, you know, he's one of the few guys you want to tune in to watch a, yeah. A struggling sense team play, you know, like he, yeah. even if, if the team was getting crushed five, nothing every night, one of the reasons fans still tuned in was to see him Batherson, Shabbat, all those guys, you know, and obviously Shabbat's eager to get back. So he'll, he'll be back in, but not seeing Stutzel sucks. So um, yeah, it's super unfortunate, but here's to hoping, you know, he doesn't have any symptoms. It doesn't affect him too, too strongly. And he can be back after uh, Saturday's game. So, uh, you know, we'll see how that goes, but uh trying to think there was one other thing I really wanted to get to and now I am just completely blanking on it was um, it uh I think Derek Lee asked a question yes on, that's a good one wasn't that uh we can get to one of those that is a very good point there was still something else and uh, hopefully it comes to me oh okay real quick before we go to the question I have it um you know so obviously you, you cover Belleville for Silver Seven Sens as well um, I want to get your opinion on Gustafson being sent down to the AHL right now. 
um, with uh, Murray and Forsberg playing in the NHL. Do you think Gustafson should have stayed up? Do you like the opportunity he's going to get more in the NHL? What, what are your thoughts on that? I'm on the fence. I, I think overall I'm, I'm, I'm fine with it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been fine with it in like a normal season. Right. But because the Sens schedules, like, I don't even know if they're an NHL team anymore at this point, based on how few games they've played. Um, whereas Belleville knock on wood has, they've had some postponements, but have had a much more regular, you know, motion with their schedule. And so having him just getting to play is really important. Um, you know, I would much rather see him get those reps at the NHL level, but if they're not going to, you know, regularly play or know they're regularly play, then then why not, right? Send him down, and and there's no repercussion because he's he's got a the two way contract, so he can go up and down freely and and play, right? I do, I do feel for you know Mandelizzi, who's probably going to be the the uh, victim here in terms of of playing time, uh, because Sogard has been the best goalie easily and so he's he's the starter so he'll become backup Gus will be the starter um for the time that he's down there I also think that there's a very real you know strategy here from the Sens perspective that they're hoping that you know Murray can play well enough to become attractive enough to move or more likely Forsberg can be play well enough to be someone who gets added as goalie depth to a contender at the deadline. Right. So, you know, I, I see the strategy there if that is the strategy and, and having Gus be able to play is more important than anything else. So, and, and it's not like, you know, I hate to, to give up on the season, you know, 29 games in or however many games the Sens have played, by January. Uh, but you know, it's not like having picking the best goalie right now is going to be something that's going to turn this team from where they are now to, a, you know, battling for a playoff spot. So you might as well just get the goalie reps and, and hope that, you know, that practice helps more than, than anything else. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely. I think in a normal year, I'd be absolutely pissed. I'd be like, yeah. this is unacceptably stupid, but Right now, I just pulled up their schedule. So they've obviously had one game in 23 days. Uh, they play Calgary theoretically on Thursday and Edmonton on Saturday. They're then supposed to be home to Buffalo on Tuesday on the 18th. I wouldn't be surprised if that game got postponed as well, yeah. seeing how many other games have been postponed, right? So yep. then they go on a trip to the States again. They play the Penguins on the 20th, the Capitals on the 22nd, the Blue Jackets on the 23rd, supposed to be back home for the 25th. So let's say up until the 24th of January, they're probably going to have five games. The Belleville schedule, which looks like, you know, a lot of them are getting over it. They play tomorrow against the Marlies, January 14th, January 15th against the uh, Rochester Americans, uh, the 17th against Syracuse, the 21st against Laval, the 22nd against Laval. Uh, so they have six games in by January 22nd, and they play the Marlies, Marlies, uh, crunch crunch in the span of four games in about four days from the 28th to the second. So you get just way more of an opportunity for him to play. And I think that is absolutely what's the most important for him right now is just, he cannot go this season playing like 10 total games or whatever he's on pair no. of 20 or whatever he's on pace to do. So yeah, if, if demoting him for the next two weeks or whatever means that he gets four starts where he would have only got two in the NHL, I am, I'm quite okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then like, as you said, they've got, uh, you know, he, they're going to play four games in by Monday. 
right? Whereas the Sens might play four games for the rest of January at this yeah. rate, right? So you, you might as well. And, and they've got a back-to-back this weekend in, in Rochester. So um, I, I think I saw somewhere on, I think it was on Twitter that uh, there might be a chance that Gus plays tomorrow or Wednesday uh, against the Marlies, depending on on travel and all that kind of stuff, getting home from, the, from uh, Western Canada. But yeah, like he's going to play. So why the heck not? Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, um, you know, I, I wouldn't even be surprised to see him called back up in February or March if Forrest sure. and Murray yeah. are still struggling, right? Like, I think this is absolutely just a, a way to get him some games. And I that's why I try. I didn't even say anything when he got demoted. I was like, oh, that kind of sucks. But, like, same with how, you know, when Thompson and JPD get demoted, it's like, well, the NHL team literally isn't playing. So get your prospects ice time somewhere else, right? And that that's a sure. smart move. So, sure. um yeah, all right, let's get to this question asked by, I believe it was Derek. Yes, it was Derek Lee, um, friend of the podcast. He said, the Sens 2022 top draft pick. Uh, trade for a good player who can help the team next year or keep the pick and make a selection. Uh, good question. I. It all depends on uh, scenarios, obviously, of where the pick is, who's available for trade. I generally lead to or lean on the side of keep your pick. Um I think that unless you can get a good, young, proven player, uh, I would be totally open to moving it then. But this is supposed to be a pretty good draft, uh, firstly. And if it's even if the pick is, say, seventh overall, they're, the one thing I would really – and obviously don't draft for need, but if the players you need are there, the positions you need are there and are at the talent level too, uh, I would like to see the Sense draft a, right defend, a right-handed defenseman or a centerman this year. And there's a lot of names that could fit that bill around that five to eight area that I've been kind of looking at in this draft. So I would personally lean towards keeping the pick. Um, if, if you have a guy – I'm trying to think of a name like Jacob Ch- uh, Chichen right now is on the market, apparently in Arizona, 23 left-handed defenseman under contract for four more years at 4.5. I think he's pretty good. Like I think he's close to a number one, maybe a number two. If he was a right-handed defenseman, I would be totally open to trading uh, a top pick for him, him being a left-handed defenseman. I would say avoid him. But if it's a player like that, that would be the only case I would say, I want to see a top 10 pick move because as much as I want to see the team get better right away, they're not in a place where they're competing for a cup and a top 10 pick probably helps you long-term more than a 27 year old who's good right now. Right. For sure. I agree. I'm glad that was your answer because my answer is the opposite, which makes for way better conversation. Um, I was where we were going to agree, which is, so this is good. So for me, I, I mean, first of all, the, the caveat of for the right player, Right. I, I don't want to move a top 10 pick if, you know, the player is if their best playing days are clearly behind them, if they are in or approaching their 30s. Right. Like, don't do the Ekman Larson trade, basically. Ex- exactly. Know? Right. I don't that's that's not the, the type of deal. But if you can get someone who is a, you know, let's say somewhere between like 23 and 26, you know, they're kind of in the prime of their career, even if they're not a top flight. But like I you know, obviously you want a, you know, number one center or a top right wing, like whatever, or, or a top, you know, first pair right-handed defenseman. But for me, even if it's a 50, 60 point winger, or like they don't have to be a stud. And the reason being, I was like, so I, I saw Derek's question earlier and I've literally been thinking about this all day since I saw the question. And cause I, I go back and forth cause I'm totally with you long-term. It might be better to keep the pick. But then I went back and I looked at the 2018 draft 
which is the Kachuk draft, right? That was four drafts ago. Of the top 10 players, I would argue there are only four of them today who are like top of top-ish of the lineup impact players, right? You've got Dalian, you've got Sveshnikov, you've got Kachuk, and you've got Quinn Hughes. Kakanyemi's there as well. He is an NHL player for sure. I would call him more like a middle six player, not a not a top of the lineup guy with his production. And then after that, everyone else that was picked in the top 10 is either nowhere or like just scratching the surface. And when I think about that, I think about picking, you know, obviously if it's if it's Shane Wright, it's Shane Wright. Or if it, you know, if, if they're going to be an impact, if they're going to be someone who's who's going to step into the lineup as quickly as like Stutzla or, or Kachuk could, then you know, I take everything back and let's keep the pick. But when you look at it that way, I think about where the team will be when that player is most likely to be an impact player. And the answer is two years away from Kachuk's deal being done one year away from Batherson's deal being done and, you know, like halfway through Stutzlow's halfway through Sanderson's deals. Right. So for me, I almost think that the window for the Sens to start really trying to contend is the duration mm-hmm. of the Drake Batherson contract where he's making less than $5 million, but putting up a point per game. Right. And so I would lean towards trading the pick, obviously, again, for the right player. We're not trading the pick for someone who's over the hill or in their 30s or whatever. But if you can get that kind of mid-20s top six winger or top four specifically right-handed defenseman in a deal with that pick, I'd probably move it just because I would rather see them try to capitalize on a window where they have, you know, one year of Stutzla on his ELC still, um, you know, one year I think of Pinto on his ELC still. I'm looking at cap friendly right now. Uh, you know, Formington will be on a bridge deal. Uh, Norris will get a big payday, right? And then Sanderson will be on his ELC, right? So I, I feel like from a roster management perspective, I would be comfortable moving this pick. Obviously, if it's first overall, you would hate to see that happen. But, you know, I would rather see them do something now than then use the pick to pick a player who's probably not going to be on the roster or at least uh, impact player on the roster until like 2026 or 2027. Right. At the end of the day though, if they don't trade the pick, I'm not going to be like raging on Twitter about it. Like I think that it, it is a good draft. It looks, you know, especially at the top end with some forwards. I really like the looks of a couple of them. So I'm not going to be upset about it, but I think if they get the right player, I'm not going to be, asking why a team in the rebuild is trading the first round pick. Yeah, I think that, geez, excuse me. I think that is uh, very fair. I just threw up some names here on cap friendly, uh, all RFAs uh, that I think, and I'll, I'll read some to you that I think maybe I could actually see being on the move. And, uh, you know, we can go back and forth about whether we would uh, trade the pick for it. Let's say it ends up sixth or seventh overall, you know, in that range kind of where you're outside the top five, it's still a top down pick, very valuable, uh, Matthew Kachuk is the first one that comes up here, 31 points in 33 games. I would say that's probably a no brainer. Yes. From both of us. Like I, that, oh, yeah. that is one of the, that is the exact type of player you're talking about where it's like an instant impact maker. He's still 23. He's or 24 years old. He's going to, you know, obviously it would come with a payday, but that's the exact kind of player you're talking about. Uh, Jesper Bratt's another one. I don't see the devil trading him 32 points in 34 games, a very sneaky underrated player. Um, let's go down I just, I just uh, traded for him in fantasy hockey. 
So smart. I was um, yeah, big, big fan of that guy. Yeah. I would love that. I, yeah. Devils. I'm not sure that they would trade him, but if he's, if he's available for that first round pick, I would, I would absolutely be all in on that. Here's one that I'm interested to get your opinion on. I don't think they will trade him just because they only trade for him last year, but it's pure Luke Dubois from the Winnipeg Jets. Hmm. That's tough. So I, I like the player. I think he got a bad rap there at the end of, of his time in Columbus. And he probably got, you know, a bit of a reputation. Um, I think the only reason why I'm not immediately saying yes, is because of the position. Um, not that, not that the Sens are like epically deep at center, but you know, with Norris and with what I think Pinto is going to be and what I think Stuzo should definitely stay at center. Like that's not, if they did it, I wouldn't be upset, but it wouldn't be my first choice. I think is where, where I'm, where I'm at with that. I would have to see what the contract looks like on that specific one too, because I, I don't mind purely Dubois as a player, but if you're trying to get like, if he's asking for like eight times eight, I don't think he's worth that. So compounding that with like a, a, a sixth overall pick or whatever, I think would be uh, not great. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then the next guys on the scoring list are guys that I don't think would either. I don't like Kevin Fiala His 25 is an RFA, but it sounds like Minnesota is going to have to move him because the salary demands anyways. I don't even think he would take a sick. Like I could see him getting flipped, his rights getting flipped for like a fourth or something like that this off season. So yeah. the team can try and sign him or whatever. Um, Pool Yarvey's not getting moved. Edmonton's not going to move him. Um, you know, Kempe and Jared McCann aren't going to get moved. Uh, Andrew um, Mangiapani uh, is an interesting one. He's an RFA. I don't think he's going to get moved either. Um, and I don't think he would take a sixth overall pick uh, to move. He's got 21 points in 33 games. Um, and then there's two other names that still kind of intrigue me on this forward list. One is uh, the Carolina Hurricanes right wing slash center Martin Nikash. Mm-hmm. He, he is 23 years old. He hasn't quite developed how people had hoped he would. Um, you know, he was kind of projected to be that re- like really good number two C and he's fitting more into their third line on a, on a really, really good team. Granted. Um, I think I would be, the, the pick would have to be 10 or outside for me to get comfortable training for someone like that. But right. if it's the right, if you got that and another asset, maybe instead of, Oh, actually, never mind. They traded their first. Uh, Carolina, <laughs> it probably wouldn't work for this exact example. But I was going to say like something like if you say a pick swap where you go from the sixth overall pick to the 23rd overall pick, but you also get a decent player, I would be intrigued to see something like that work as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Uh, that, that would be, yeah, like moving back, but, you know, maybe far back. Uh, but getting a player would be would be certainly interesting to me. The only other forward that I had kind of circled on this RFA list is Brock Besser, 25 years old, 17 points in 28 games. He's had a bit of a down year this year. Um, That would be an intriguing one as well. I think Brock Besser has all kinds of talent. He is right on that age gap where it's like 25 is as old as I would really want to trade for someone right now. Yeah. Um, Because, you know, that five-year window would take him to 30. So right in the, he's still right in the window, but any older than that, you're getting into your thirties. You don't really want to be paying for that. So uh, Brock Besser would be an interesting one too. Again, if it's like fifth or sixth overall, I don't know if I would, it would have to really depend on the contract. If you could get a decent contract on him coming back the other way too, I would uh, certainly be open for it. But uh, you know, given where Vancouver, Vancouver could be a really interesting one with a trade back kind of scenario, because, you know, I don't think you're going to get Besser and their first pick uh, just for Ottawa's first, but if it's high enough and, you know, Vancouver has been on absolute tear recently, if yeah. Vancouver's pick is 
14th, 15th overall, I wonder what the gap between, you know, moving up 10 spots for Vancouver would be. And if it would be someone like Besser or if they would want to do that. So, well, especially if they, I mean, we don't know, but if they can't re-sign Besser, right? Like we don't know mm-hmm. what those contract negotiations would look like. I think Besser would be, you know, uh, DJ Smith's dream acquisition I think you know that just the way he plays the fact that he produces but he also you know is defensively responsible he's a he's not a huge guy but he he doesn't he, he plays big enough right I think I think from like DJ Smith's perspective that's a guy that he would love to have so um and I agree like he's got a down year this year but you know last two seasons he's been close to a point per game last three seasons last four seasons he's been close to a point per game I'm just looking at his stats now so yeah I mean Brock Besser, I agree with you on the age thing. Like that's 25-ish is probably as high as I'd go. But I I would be I, – I would honestly move I, – I would move the first – if it's like 6th to 10th overall with no other pick coming back for Brock Besser. That, that's where I'm at in terms of – maybe in terms of my impatience with the rebuild. But uh, that, that I, I would do it for sure. Yeah, and then on defense, there's really not too many names up here that are pending RFAs. Uh, it would definitely have to be someone locked under a little more contract coming back. And and who knows, maybe there could be a forward with three or four years left on his deal that uh, I haven't looked at either. But uh, it's definitely an interesting interesting decision to see where they land. I think totally. top top five, I don't think they trade it. I just, you know, how often do you really see teams willingly trade a top five pick? Um it just doesn't really happen. You know, it seems like more and more, if it happens, it's because they traded for a guy a year in advance and uh, it <laughs> didn't work. Al, yeah. uh, obviously Ottawa to Colorado, San Jose to Ottawa. Uh, it looks like um, uh, who is in that position this year slash next year, that Chicago uh, with the Columbus trade there for um, Seth Jones. They oh, don't yeah. have their first this year, and uh, that could be a pretty high pick as well. So, um, yeah, it's definitely an interesting conversation to have. And I think the, the, the biggest key is that if you're trading for a guy, you have to be confident that he is good, he's young, and, you you know, he can fit in this kind of core that's on right now. And, um, you know, if they get a young player, I am totally okay with the idea of taking the known asset versus the mystery box, you know, because it's that fam- famous family guy thing. It's like, well, a boat's a boat, but the, fam- the mystery box can be anything. It could even <laughs> be a boat. It's like, well, yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. You know, a 23 t- year old right-handed defenseman at term. That's great. But the mystery pick could be anything. It could even be a guy who's really good when he gets to 23 and has term left on his contract. Right. So just yeah. take it now. But um, other than that, I think we have hit basically everything. The other questions I'm not sure people would really want to hear talk about on the podcast uh, having to do with home, home renovations and banjos. Uh, maybe we'll save hey, that for another time. We, we could start our own home renovation banjo podcast. That'd be fine. With I, I think we should look into starting. That. I think it Love would be it. a great viewership. Uh, plug some stuff. Where can people find you and your work? Yeah, I'm on, I'm on Twitter, Spencer DJ Blake. And then I cover the Belleville senators for silver seven cents. Uh, and that's pretty much the only places you can find work that anyone who's listening to this podcast will care about. Uh, thank you so much for joining me, Spencer. As always, I'll have to have you on down the road. And hopefully next time we're on, there'll be some actual games to talk about. And we're That'll not in the awesome. middle of a month-long hiatus. <laughs> that would be perfect. I'd appreciate that. And thanks so much for, for having me on. It's been It's been a joy. I've had a great time. Huge thanks to Spencer for joining me. Uh, that was a lot of fun. I hope you all enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, as always, you can find me on Twitter at last word on sends or NHL sends and stuff is my personal one. 
Um, I am going to try and get back to regularly posting every other week, every week maybe even. Um, obviously, there was a long break there. Uh, it's been literally November 17th, I'm looking now, is the last time I posted. So almost two months, and part of that, as I mentioned earlier, was just... Um, uh, the, the Senators not playing for a month. You know, they've had one game. I, I literally think I've missed six games since I uh, took a break from the podcast. And um, part of that was also a couple guests fell through. So I had two or three people lined up and uh, timing or whatever just didn't work. So, um, yeah, I'm hoping to get back into a weekly visit. If there's anyone you want to hear on the podcast, please let me know. Uh, if there's anything you want to hear talk about, again, let me know on Twitter or you can apply here, wherever. Um, thank you, everyone, so much for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week. Thank you.